Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Jules. Hey, how are you? I am good. I'm actually recording from bed this week, so I know our listeners won't be able to see, but you can see that I am super cozy, surrounded by pillows, beautifully backlit by my little loomy lamp here as well. So I'm pretty good, I have to say. (laughs) You look so comfortable. I'm so jealous. This is when we make the transition into like autumn slash winter, this is when I'm at my most powerful this is my time of year. I'm not a summer person. Okay, I think I'm definitely a summer person, for sure. I'm also an autumn person. Like, I like autumn. So it's a nice time of the year for me. I like wearing boots. Mm-hmm. I like wearing a light jacket, a jumper. But I don't feel like, oh, wow, like, when it's raining and it's getting darker, it's my time. Oh, it's my time. I am too pale and I'm too hairy for summer. So mm-hmm. it's just, like, not a good look for me. Whereas, as you said, jumpers, boots hats scarves gorgeous fabulous yes please polo necks i'd love some thank you for asking what is manifesting in your life differently now that it's your time and you're your most powerful to the summertime i don't have to socialize outdoors obviously now covid time it's all been a mess anyway but this time i like the cozy vibe i like the being wrapped up in layers I think that's the main thing for me. I like evenings in. I like warm pubs. I like a fire. I like red wine. All of that kind of stuff is where I'm at. The autumnal cozy evenings is peak. I've had the fight. I've been, well, I've had the fight. I've had several fights with my husband at this point, but we have officially put the heating on for the first time since February because I'm also a tight arse. So once I'm like, oh, we're technically in spring, I'm like, right, the heating is off. If you want to be warm, put on a jumper. But then once it once we transition past September, I'm like, okay, now you can put on the central heating. So Okay. I put the heating <laughs> on all year, so I'm, I'm probably the opposite to you. I'm definitely not cheap when it comes to needing to stay warm. <laughs> it's very important for me to be warm. And to ideally be wearing shorts in my house? Oh, no. I'd sooner put on two pairs of trousers. (laughs) How's your week been? Um, So, yeah, my week's going pretty well. I ran a half marathon last week. Oh, very nice. Oh, in celebration of your birthday. Happy belated birthday, Jules. I'm such a geek because... I, people are like, oh, what did you do? And I'm like, I ran a half marathon. That's how I want to celebrate my birthday. Um, so I had a great week last week. I just wanted to start the year or my new year off strong. I wanted to start mm-hmm. my year out of my comfort zone. And I really started to enjoy running. So I'm like, you know what, Jules, this is the perfect time to push yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because the first time I did a half, I didn't plan to. Oh, right. Yes. So I just went out running and then I'm like, oh, might as well continue. And then I just continued until I'd done 22 kilometers, right? You got into the zone. I just got into the zone. I was like, yeah, yeah I can just keep going. But when you say to yourself, I'm going to do this on this day, mm-hmm. it created a bit of like nervousness, like, oh man, you know, and my leg, I haven't been feeling 100%. Right. So I was like, oh, a bit nervous about it. But yeah, smashed it. Amazing. Well done. So yeah, I was happy about that. And I had a really nice week. I'm reading a really interesting book now. I've moved back into self-help. Oh yeah, here we go. When she is at her most powerful. 
<laughs> literally <laughs> but this book was actually recommended by a colleague of mine the book is called rise by patty azarello okay and essentially it's a career guide right so it's really all about you know how to advance in your career how to stand out as a leader and also make sure that you enjoy your life at the same time. Okay. If you're not able to be successful in your professional life, but then also have a personal life, mm-hmm. that's really successful. So that's not used as an example in the book. It's really all about how do you kind of create your own lane? Like obviously make sure that you are really good at what you do. Connect with the people that make the decisions mm-hmm. and make sure that you're clear on your own values and that aligns with the organizations that you work for, where you're spending your time so you can actually enjoy your life as well. So I'm loving this book. It's like every other line, I'm like, highlight, highlight, highlight. I think that's so interesting because I really do think that that is a message that isn't in a lot of like career-focused leadership books. It always seems to be like, the grind is never ending or, you know, make moves in silence, like da 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 <laughs> And I do agree. And I would very much so subscribe to the idea that if you are successful in your work life to the detriment of your personal life, if you don't have a personal life, that's not the end goal. Like you still want to be able to have a social life. You want to be able to have friends that you meet with, a relationship with your partner, go out for food, have holidays. Mm. Like there's sometimes this attitude where it's like people kill themselves for their career. And if you're an entrepreneur or if you work for a company, whichever, I always think, you know, at the end of the day, if I died at work, I'm good at my job and I'm valued at my job. But if I died at work, they would recruit for my replacement. No one cares. No one cares. They wouldn't just hold the position vacant for me for the Mm. rest of time as a Mm. mark of respect. To be like, well, we still need someone to do this job. So does anyone... But also I think the biggest myth in terms of work is that if you work hard, and I think a lot of the time women fall into this trap where we think that if we work hard, we will be recognized for that work and that will translate into career advancement or opportunity and it doesn't, Mm -hmm. right? No one cares how hard you work because you can always find someone to work hard. You can always find someone that's good at that job. Mm Mm-hmm. Being successful and people wanting to invest in you is about way more than how hard you work. Totally. And actually, it's interesting that you would say that because I just handed in my leadership assignment for one of my modules on the course I'm doing at the moment. And in my assignment, I focused specifically on women in the workplace and the kind of the barriers to success. Because I think sometimes you've got this reverse glass ceiling effect and it was Carly Fiorina who was HP and she'd had like this illustrious career was brought on as CEO of Hewlett Packard and you know kind of said well I should be proof that the glass ceiling does not in fact exist and people love to use this kind of anecdotal evidence where it's like well listen I've gotten here and I know that you and I have experienced that with people that we've previously worked with where it's like well I've never personally experienced sexism so sexism doesn't exist in this particular work environment and it's very interesting when you read a lot of the studies behind it it's like actually this is irrefutable it is about communication it is about presentation it is about networking it is not just about work and those are those tend to be the avenues in which 
women struggle to put themselves forward. If you are interested in advancing in any way, like I highly recommend this book. I'm not that deep into the book, but I'm already quite blown away. I'm going to check it out, actually, because it's really something I'm keen to learn more about. And yeah. you do often have very good recommendations for books in a kind of a self-improvement way. Yeah, I will say one thing that has really stood out so far. People love to be busy. It's kind of like a humble brag when, you know, when it's like, oh, I didn't sleep. Mm-hmm. I was working until this time or was in the office really late. And yeah, you don't do high quality work when you don't sleep. Totally. And personally, me, when people are so busy and they're like running around like a headless chicken, I'm quite put off by it mm-hmm. because I feel like they can't prioritize. Yes. Time management is really important. Yeah. Time management is really important. And there is no way that you're doing high value work constantly. So that means that you're not managing your time effectively. You're not able to leverage the people around you. You're not able to set a boundary. And I just get very put off by it. Like when I've got friends who are just like, oh my God, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, yes, I have days when I'm slammed and it's something I want to improve on. But I really started to value rest Mm -hmm. and taking the time to think about my next step and what it is that I need to do. You made a really interesting point a couple of weeks ago about seizing your day. You didn't phrase it like that, but you were basically talking about when you've been running with the Nike app and Coach Bennett and what he basically says. And since then, it's something that I've actually been trying to implement a little bit more, getting control of my day by starting my day. And most specifically, I think on a Monday, Mondays are really important for me to get up early to get to the gym to like do my session. I set my alarm for six, I'm up, I'm at the gym or I go for my run, I come home, I have my breakfast, I have my shower and I've started the week as I want the rest of my week to go. If you have a bad Monday, that doesn't mean that your Tuesday has to be bad. You know, that kind of- If you have a bad Monday, I guarantee you're going to have a bad Tuesday. Certainly for me, 100% for Mm. me. The whole week's a write-off, whatever. I'm sick of it. (laughs) It's like donuts for dinner. Do you know this kind of thing for it's like, oh, screw this. And it makes you realize, as you said, take control of the day before the day has a chance to get hectic or get all over the shop because things are going to drop into your diary or things are going to happen that mess things up. If you can look and say, okay, well, I wasn't expecting X, but at least I got ABC done. Mm -hmm. It really makes a difference to your mental attitude. Yeah, it really does. And I think another thing that makes such a difference is making sure that you've got mentors and you've got sponsors. Mm -hmm. It is popular, like people know that they should have a mentor, but how many people have a mentor? Do you have a mentor? I have tried mentors and I've had a couple, but I say that, you know, quotation marks essentially, because I think that a lot of people, as many people who know they should have a mentor, a lot of people want to be a mentor And the most recent mentor I had was from our parent company. And I sat down with him and I spoke about, you know, my expectations, my career goals. And this guy's telling me, you know, when I wanted to get to manager level, I'd come in on a Saturday and I'd just do a couple of hours work, maybe just from like nine till 12, just so that when I knew I came in on Monday, I knew I had everything lined up to just hit the ground running. And I was thinking, That is legitimately chronic advice. That is a a ludicrous thing that you've just said to me. And how am I supposed to take you seriously as a manager if your advice to me or as a mentor and a manager is 
work outside of your prescribed hours because as you've just pointed out Juliet that's terrible time management I'm sorry yeah it's really complex right because I've had roles where I've gone in on on a weekend Mm -hmm. and I've needed to go in on a weekend I do work outside my allocated hours because sometimes you've got projects and things where you need to give the push and you know I think that that's fine for specific things that you need to manage I don't think you can have 365 days where you're operating at that speed and you're not taking Mm -hmm. time out Mm -hmm. so it's very difficult because you cannot be successful if you don't do things different to other people Mm -hmm. it's impossible so if your thing is if you stand out because you know you take three hours on a weekend to set the week up for success that's your formula everyone has whatever their formula Mm -hmm. is right and then it also depends on what's important to your business and what's important to the people that you work for if you work for somebody and that's what they value yes that's you'll be looked at as a part-timer if if that's not what you do right so that's why it's important to know what your values are if your values are my weekend is my family time Mm -hmm. I spend my weekend with my husband with my partner with my kids with my friends Mm-hmm. then you have to make sure that you're working within an organization or working for people who they respect that and it's something that they value as well. And I think that you've created a really interesting point there as well where one thing that I push back against a lot for myself is this mentality that you have to do the job before you get the job to prove that you can do the job, if that makes no, but you have to. You do have to. I disagree with that in terms of promotions is what I'm saying here. Like when people expect you to do the more senior position before Mm -hmm. you're getting paid for that, what it creates is the idea that you can and you will do that job without the guarantee of being paid for that job. So it's a very tricky balance and it's a very fine line to walk because I think that you have to be very thoughtful about not undervaluing yourself. If you have the additional skill set or the additional experience and you are ready to hit the next level, I think that what you really need to do is say, yeah, I will do that or I'm happy to take on that responsibility. But it is not my job currently to take on that responsibility. And you've got this kind of mentality in a lot of workplaces where it's like, and again, I guess it depends on the culture, as you've just said, but where you've got this kind of, yeah, you know, pick up the slack, take on that project, work on this mandate, da 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 And you're doing a whole other job, as well as the job that you're getting paid for. You've gotten yourself into a position where you're doing six other things as well, but mm. you're not being paid for those six other things. And mm. why would they pay you when you're doing it for free? Yeah, I think it's just different schools of thought, right? Mm-hmm. So I was a cadet, I was an air cadet, and they always said, if you want to be a corporal, you have to act like one. If you have to want to be a sergeant, you need to act like one, right? So I do think if you want to be a leader, you have to behave like a leader. Mm-hmm. And you will behave like a leader, irrespective of what you're getting paid. And you obviously have to be smart. It's not like, oh, take on all of these projects, but have no guarantee. But if you want to get to the next step, or there's something you want to achieve, then you need to have a chat with your management, your leadership, be very, very clear about this is what I'm trying to achieve. And I have a colleague mm-hmm. that has just done this so well. So I have a colleague I really admire. We're on the same team. And essentially, he's a leader on our team. His whole thing is not only do I want to be good, I need to make everyone good. I want to mm-hmm. make everyone who wants to be good better. 
I don't believe in just taking on extra things without clearly communicating what you're trying to achieve. But mm-hmm. also, if you act at a certain level, you stay at that level. That is true as well. Like I said, I don't think it's a straightforward endeavor. I just yeah. think that sometimes the desire to please is so ingrained in us that it's like, yeah, it's not a problem. Of course, I can do that for you. And you yeah. have to remember that you are allowed to step back and say, that's not in my job spec. Am I being considered for a promotion? Am I on the progression timeline? Because if I am, super. But if you're outsourcing this to me because you know I'll say yes to doing it, kindly excuse me. Yeah, there is a really good book around how people respond to expectations. So it's a book by um, Gretchen Rubin and it's called The Four Tendencies. And Mm -hmm. it's all about how you respond to expectations And what you've said is the obliger personality type. And it's someone who is uh, more motivated by external expectations. So the team needs something. The family needs something. They just want to say yes. And they just want to please people. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you've got the upholder who has a very strong sense of their own internal expectation as well as external expectations. And those people actually have like a higher net worth on average than the other personality types. Yeah. And so they have such a strong sense of their own expectations that if they want to run a marathon, they can just train by themselves. If they Mm -hmm. want to achieve this, they can train by themselves. And those people are busy and are successful, but they schedule their rest. Right. They set very clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. And they're quite rigid and judgmental and sometimes mean. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got the upholder personality type and then you have the questioner personality type. And those people have a very strong sense of their own internal expectations. Mm-hmm. So if they want to run a marathon, they can train by themselves. They're quite self-motivated, but they're typically going to question external expectations, right? So if somebody says, oh, yeah, we've always done this. The questioner will be like, why? Mm-hmm. what's going on and there's always some crossover and th- the last one is a rebel so not great with internal expectations not great with external expectations right and not many people are rebels but Do when you I know did what the yeah I yeah, know what I am so I'm a questioner dominant right and then rebel okay interesting did learning that about yourself help you then manifest things differently being a questioner is a strength mm-hmm. because you basically like I'm quite self-motivated and I won't really take no for an answer. But then, you know, that rebel side is you get to the point where you're like, oh, shop's closed, I'm done. Mm-hmm. So at least for me, I have a strong sense of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I know why I'm responding to things the way that I do. Right. And I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say that's quite positive. But then it's also really about other people and understanding what they're motivated by. Right. That's a little bit really like love language. Yeah, I feel like that's really the benefit of reading a book like that because you get to understand and the team needs different types of people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Right? We can't all be upholders, mm-hmm. right? I am married to an upholder though. I think sometimes you have a situation and it's interesting that you mention, you know, the the category that your husband falls into. I've mentioned this before, particularly about my leadership module People always want to be what they think is the best one to be as opposed Mm -hmm. to what they actually are. So in the context of leadership, you had all of these people on my course being like, well, I have a very non-directive approach because the lecturer had said non-directive 
is the better end of the spectrum to be on. And it's Mm. like, you know, you won't get anywhere unless you can identify. I am directive because if I am in a position of leadership, it's because I think I know what is best to do. So I will say, Jules, I think we should do this. And I'm not going to be going, what do you think we should do? Um, How would you feel about it? If Because that is a coaching leadership style, but it's not what the majority of people default into. And so it's interesting that you say about what category your husband falls into in this as well, because it is also about taking into consideration other people's communication styles. Your love language is one thing, but if you continue to communicate in your love language to somebody else who doesn't have that love language, you're not getting anywhere. They don't recognize what you're saying to them. Yeah, exactly. And I think everyone has like their style. The majority, I think, are obligers. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Or either the majority are questioners, one of the two. I would imagine. Or questioner and obliger is the dominant one. But an upholder does not cross over with an obliger. Right. They do not cross over. Like my husband does not feel he needs to do something just because <laughs> it is good for the team. That's it is like upholders and obligers don't cross over but he's an upholder questioner right so I imagine it's powerful to know that about yourself I would be interested to hear what our listeners are thinking about themselves as they're hearing this I definitely mm. think I have some obliger tendencies but yeah um, so you can be like a questioner a, you can be a questioner obliger mm-hmm. in the book it says obligers keep the world going like if you don't have people like that you just don't move forward mm-hmm yeah, I think it's quite powerful. And whatever it is that you are, there's no right personality or right response. It's yeah. just about understanding what you're motivated by and putting yourself in an environment where you can achieve the things that you want, you know? And I think it causes a lot of anxiety if you're feeling certain things and you don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, you guys need to go read some books. Like, yeah, no, You can't sure. be out here at work being triggered. <laughs> you need to also let us know if you've read any good books in that regard as well, guys, that we should be also adding to the list because I way prefer fiction books. But Jules is educating me a little bit in this regard and I am starting to venture into the nonfiction. I've been very like empowered by the people who are just ahead of me mm-hmm. and can just share and want to see me grow. It is the opposite of a scarcity mindset which we've spoken about before but I don't know what you'd call the opposite of a scarcity mindset abundance abundance mindset love it yeah it's called abundance mindset yeah like obviously you need to find the people that have got the abundance mindset Mm -hmm. you need to find people that are it's what they call high value relationships Mm -hmm. and stop hanging out with the low value relationships people that don't teach you anything but it's two-way like if people if you don't express what you want and what you need mm-hmm. people are not going to just start expressing things to you it's like yeah. you also have to be willing to be vulnerable and you have to give or you're never going to get I wanted to talk a little bit about and you mentioned it uh before we started recording this evening Megan and Harry and their comments on Black History Month because I think that they are a really interesting example of people who kind of bucked the status quo, found their voices, I suppose, and recognized their own value. And I just wondered if you have been following that at all and what thoughts you have, if any, on them. No, I mean, I was really happy to see Black History Month in the UK recognized Mm -hmm. by, I know they're not reals anymore, but I guess, you know, Harry's still a member of the aristocracy in this country. So that was really, really powerful because it makes you realize, oh my God, 
I've never seen Black History Month be recognized mm-hmm. by public figures in this country. I don't know if the Prime Minister recognizes Black History Month in any way or does anything around Black History Month. But what was interesting about their video that they released, Megan was like, I don't even know that there was a Black History Month in the UK. Yeah. You know? And Harry was like, yeah, I thought I knew about this stuff, but like, I actually don't know anything. And this is really an opportunity for us to A, celebrate the contributions that the Black community has made to British society, but then just continue on this journey towards equality. Mm -hmm. So I loved it. And I think it's really interesting if you look at that in the context of, like, obviously it's well documented at this point on the podcast. I'm a huge Megan Stan. I love her. I really love Harry as well. I think they found a way to do a lot of meaningful, good work. I thought they were doing good work when they were within the institution of the royal family. But certainly, you know, they've very much so hit the ground running since they've left the royal family. And... Oh, I've lost my train of thought there because I was bigging her up so much. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. When they spoke recently to kind of encourage people to get out and vote, and Harry in particular said, reject hate speech. You know, he was immediately pounced on for endorsing Biden, which is, you know, a kind of a separate conversation altogether. But I thought it was interesting knowing how restricted the royal family is from kind of commenting on political issues. And there hasn't been much, if any, acknowledgement, and I consider myself to be quite up on my royal news. There's been no acknowledgement for the rest of the royal family with regards to Black History Month in the UK. And it must be very freeing to suddenly know that you can comment on these things. You don't have to Mm -hmm. remain apolitical. You can talk about thornier subjects and you can really start to use the voice that you've been given in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think that must be really, really liberating. Mm -hmm. And props to them. I think the sad thing is that things like hate speech, the fact that someone can say reject hate speech, and that is a political statement. Yes. Is mad. Like there are things to me that are just normal, maybe because it's me. I just find it normal. Reject hate speech. Yes. High five. (laughs) (laughs) You take something like, UK Black History Month or Black History Month as a whole, the Black Lives Matter movement. It has been something that people have gotten more and more comfortable, shall we say, with speaking out about. And I think that that's great. You know, you saw Megan Stallion on SNL using her platform to talk about Breonna Taylor and kind of staging a really moving performance there with the gunshots appearing and overlaying that with the Malcolm X speech, the most disrespected woman or the most disrespected person is the black woman in the United States. Oh, in the world. In the world. In the world. (laughs) But in America, the the quote is in America, but in the world. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh God. And, you know, there was an interesting juxtaposition then that I was reading about that where obviously Megan herself, Megan the Stallion was shot by Tory Lanes, and you had all of these commentators on social media tying themselves up in knots to defend him so you know it proliferates that idea that the black woman is the most disrespected and her life her pain her suffering is to be kind of derided it's such an expression of art I think is really incredible in that way because I don't think that you would have seen something like that two five ten years ago yeah And the finding of, not the finding of voices, because people have always had those voices, but the 
what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, bravery to use them is very, very interesting. I think for sure things have changed. Mm -hmm. If you look at someone like Serena Williams, if you look at someone like Beyonce, they were like, I need to build my career and get to a certain point before I can speak on any issue. And then you have someone like Naomi Osaka, who's at a very early stage in her career. But things have changed, right? Mm -hmm. She is now empowered where she can speak up. She can use her platform. And Megan Thee Stallion is the same. Before, it would be like, you're still really new to the business. Mm -hmm. You're early on in your career. You can't go on SNL and make these types of statements. But things have changed. And I'm totally embracing it. Like I was having a conversation with a family member on the weekend and he was saying, oh, wow, you know, Naomi Osaka has really taken a lot on, mm-hmm. you know, sort of advocating for Black Lives Matter in this way. But I'm like, you're 30. Your head is not in the game. Like mm-hmm. sub 25, they're not playing with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's why it's really interesting because every generation is radical and progressive mm-hmm. to a certain extent, Right. The 60s was a very radical, liberating time. But people grow up and become conservative mm-hmm. for some reason, right? People are young. They date who they want. They do what they want. They smoke weed. They get older and everything changes. So yeah. I'm hoping that sort of the changes that we're seeing from an expression perspective can actually manifest into policy and institutions. Mm-hmm. Rather than it's like, yeah, I can post a Brianna Taylor image on my Instagram, but we still know she didn't get any justice. Yes, for sure. I wonder when you say, you know, even the difference between 25 year olds and their awareness, I wonder, does so much of that hinge on social media and where you grew up with that? You know, you and I are probably, and most of our listeners, I think looking at our our normal demographic, we're you know, women in our late 20s, early 30s, liberal-leaning millennial tend to work in cities, right? And you think about, we then all grew up with social media at around a similar point where we were kind of 16, maybe 15, before it became very much so ingrained in society. I didn't have, I mean, I was late to the game. I didn't have an iPhone until I was like 20. But even then... Oh, you were late, late. I was late, late, late. But people still weren't on Instagram, Facebook. Of course, that yeah. kind of stuff To the same degree. So your education was more staggered. When you mm-hmm. mentioned 25-year-olds, obviously, even in that short space of time, so much had changed. So... Mm-hmm that exposure, that education to things going on on a global scale is far greater than you or I had in an organic sense at the same age. Yeah, I think social media definitely plays a part. But just like how social media can open you up to open mindedness, Mm -hmm. right? I got educated on trans rights because of social media, Mm -hmm. right? So just like social media can educate you to go left, it can also educate you to go right. That's so you have a lot of very young people that are very right wing, mm-hmm. right? You've got a lot of 17, 18 year olds that are incredibly right wing. So I think it's like two sides of the same coin, really. Because you can find anything you want to justify any perspective on the internet. Yeah, that's actually very true. As a brief aside, sorry, just as you said that, it made me think, have you watched The Boys on Amazon? It's on Amazon. I watched season one. Yeah, I need to watch season oh my two. God. I actually loved it. I thought it was just a really interesting commentary on that kind of radicalization 
there there are some parts in season two which kind of yeah that. so yes I but think even right. season one just about how a lot of this stuff is that we see is manufactured hundred mm, percent right? and that's why I say yes people can get on the internet and kind of express a progressive mindset but if all of this is not translating into institutional change like mm-hmm. if we're not breaking down these barriers offline yeah there's no point like Megan doing that on SNL that's really great and it is courageous and all mm-hmm. of that stuff but what does that really mean if you still have in the UK for example black women dying at five times the rate yes. of white women in childbirth yeah exactly so mm-hmm. if these things cannot sort of translate into something meaningful there's no point Yeah, you are absolutely right. That is fair to say. I think I'm always interested to see how social media fits into these things. But I wonder if seeing all of this online and seeing sort of celebrities using using their platform, is that making people feel empowered to have a voice in their day-to-day life? Are people seeing that and thinking, oh, my colleague is being bullied because of this. This is happening. I need to speak up. I would like to think yes. I think that you would hope that it starts dialogue, right? Like Forget dialogue. Me, I'm not interested in dialogue. At this point now, we've had a whole summer mm. of dialogue. So now if you see what Megan Thee Stallion is doing, if you understand that message, mm-hmm. if it's something that you believe, right? Okay, great. So black women are disrespected. Black women are dying. Black women are stereotyped. What does that look like in your day-to-day life? Like if you listen to the podcast and you hear the conversations we're having, how do you take that into your life? Do you think that that has, I wonder what we would be seeing. I say quite often, you can never discuss anything in a vacuum. And I really stand by that because as Amelie was saying, when we had her on the podcast a few weeks ago, she didn't think that the BLM movement would have happened in the way that it did had we not all been on lockdown. And I think that that is probably a little bit true. I think that people learned a lot of meaningful lessons about Black Lives Matter and institutionalized systemic racism because of lockdown and also because of lockdown, have they had any chance to implement those learnings? Because the example that you give there, seeing someone being kind of disrespected at work, but actually that's not going to happen. The audience for microaggressions now has been completely removed. I wonder if the education that people have been exposed to by virtue of BLM being amplified in such a way because of lockdown, that education has been, in some regards, restricted in its application because people haven't been in the office with one another. So Mm. I wonder if we would have seen more systemic change within corporation practices if Mm. we were back in the office as normal now. Yeah, I think my position on it is that Black Lives Matter is really about your day-to-day Mm. It's about what do you do on a day-to-day basis because there are a hundred decisions that you make every single day that intersect with another person and may intersect with someone that is different to you. Let's say you're not in the office, but you still have a personal life. There are still decisions that you make every single day where you have the opportunity to live your values or not. Mm-hmm. And if you don't live your values in, in your personal life, if you can't have a conversation personally, you would never go into the workplace and be able to drive change and have a conversation with a colleague yeah that is a good point 
So yes, of course, we want to impact our working environment, but work is made up of people. Mm-hmm. People are made up of individuals and we're all hopefully speaking to at least one person over lockdown. You know, we can all make a choice, you know, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you treat people when you're hearing, because obviously racist conversations or weird things are still happening. Are you saying something? Mm-hmm. Those are probably like the low hanging fruit. I don't know what you think. That is true. I don't know. I feel personally that my exposure just to other people probably over the past six months has been so minimal. So I haven't really... But you still spend money. I still spend money. No, no, no. I I completely agree with you on that point. What I mean is about like encountering, hearing things, speaking up. My audience for that has been absolutely minimal. Obviously, you are right. Everyone has shades of grey throughout the course of COVID, how much you out, how much you interacting with others, all of that kind of stuff. So I do think you're right. I also do think that there's a more fundamental, you know, the further reaching impact is obviously, as you said, thinking about where you spend your money and that aspect and where can you be thoughtful? Where can you, as you said, live your values? So I appreciate there's definitely more work to be done there. But I just think that all conversations now have to be so, they're not mindless, because everything happens through the medium of electronics. You have to call someone, you have to Zoom someone, you have to Google Hangout, you have to whatever. So I feel that the opportunities don't present themselves as mindlessly as they might have done this time last year when we were all in the office five days a week. Yeah, but I do think when it comes to Mm anti-racism, it was never mindless because the auto mode and zone that we're all in is our implicit bias Mm -hmm. so even if we were all in the office all the time it's still not going to be mindless you really have to be so intentional Mm -hmm. about being anti-racist and trying to create opportunities for other people and just trying to be inclusive Mm -hmm. and all of that it's such hard work yeah (laughs) like it's hard for me. I'm like looking at my budget and I'm like, where can I mm-hmm. spend with black people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm from London. I live on a street. Me and my husband are the only black people on the street. So it's not easy, guys. But I guess there are loads of resources online now. Mm-hmm. And even I saw like Rihanna posted something and she posted a picture of herself. And I think the caption was like protecting my melanin Why they tried to erase it. Did you see it? No. Is it on her Instagram? Yeah. Rihanna did a post just protecting my melanin while they try to eradicate it. And it's like, and that's the fight. Like even someone like Rihanna, it's not easy being black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I have to say. So even when you're, you know, at the very, very top and you're an icon, it's not easy. And I just want to see some kind of like generational shift. But if you're not being mindful about where you spend your money, where you invest your time, you know, maybe there are skills that you have. Like there's a lady that does this really well, my first 100K. So I would recommend you check her out on Instagram if you're trying to level up financially, although a lot of it is from an American context, but the principles do remain the same. And she always talks about injustice when it comes to building wealth. Mm-hmm. and she's got a program and she said you know I want to give this program away for free to black women mm-hmm. like if you're a black woman and you're trying to level up financially sign up for free for my program so you can transfer knowledge you can transfer skills there's a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that all of us can do like you have to sit down and say what skills do I have how do I transfer them mm-hmm. and reach out and go and find the people you have to go and find the people that could benefit from what yeah. you've got Which I think is an interesting point because I think that a lot of the time people 
struggle to ask for help or struggle to identify their own strengths. I think that's it. Yeah. Those two things are huge barriers. You do need to overcome them. And I hesitate to be like, you just got to get over it. But you really do you need to ask for help. And I say that knowing that I myself, in my own career, and my personal life, I struggle to ask for help. And I don't sit down and think, okay, well, what do I bring to the table in a legitimate sense? And you can't get anywhere unless you are doing those two things. It cuts you off at the knees. Is that the phrase? I don't know. It's something like that. Yeah, I think it is a phrase. Yeah, (laughs) It's not a great one. I probably won't use it again. But for this, it's relevant in this context. You can't get anywhere unless you can work on those two steps, for sure. Yeah, I think it is a barrier because a lot of the time we don't know what we can give. We don't know Mm -hmm. what our strengths are. And it's such a big challenge. We all feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But it is Black History Month in the UK. And I think let's all challenge ourselves to do something for Black History Month. Mm -hmm. So try to educate yourself. But I think we've done the education phase in the summertime. (laughs) So if you're not educated, okay, please go educate yourself. But we've been educating ourselves now for like two months. But this is a great chance to also continue to amplify the the black voices in the UK. We don't want to be amplified anymore, Phoebe. We're done with amplifying. What was I watching? No, Phoebe, we're done with it. I hate that stuff. I've been seeing this program online where it's like, oh, black woman's going to take over my Instagram for Black History Month. Is this what you mean? The amplifying? No, I was actually thinking about, so at work, I was part of a committee that put together a program for Black History Month. And what we've got are different speakers coming in every week to speak about different aspects, be it, I think one of the talks we've got coming up is the impact of the Windrush generation on Mm. music culture in the UK. So things like that, that amplification, I think is important because that's an aspect. Are you paying them? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That that is an aspect that I would not know about. There's no part of my own internal education that would marry those things together that I would Mm -hmm. need to seek out that kind of information. So Mm -hmm. what I mean is that there are going to be, hopefully, as you've said, Jules, people will have done the foundational level education over the course of the summer. And as people were posting resources and lists and whatever on social media, you got some exposure to that. But I think that what you may find is over the course of Black History Month in the UK on your social media or locally or whatever, you will be exposed to things that you will have never considered because they aren't immediately obvious to you when you think about black history. And so that would be my hope for our listeners that you're going to start thinking or encountering things that you think, I didn't even know that actually. I had never thought about that particular aspect or that particular cultural impact or whatever. And you'll be educated in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I do think there are so many gaps in all of our knowledge. So something like that is amazing. The reason why I say I'm really over this amplify thing, pay people, Mm -hmm. create opportunity for people. Like I'm fed up of hearing about black people's voices being amplified. I need to hear about black people being given real opportunity and real cash money. Mm -hmm. You know, even when you think about small things, when you think about, you know, charity, there's a bidding process, all these things are really opaque, which is why people that are not in the club just don't get access to the capital, don't get access to the opportunity. So how do we open up all of these different channels so more Mm -hmm. people can be included? And if you are, if you do have a seat at the table, 
just try to make sure there are other people at that table yes and not everyone at that table is the same mm-hmm. and all of us you don't have to be a leader to ask questions about why this room only has these people mm-hmm. that's what I want like please don't message me and say Jules we want to amplify your voice <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> Say, Jules, we have money for you. We want to pay you. <laughs> we want to pay you, Jules. So yeah, happy Black History Month, everyone. <laughs> Let's use it as an opportunity to come together, as Megan and Harry have been saying. Mm-hmm. Megan and Harry are literally the patrons of the oh, Jules and Phoebe God. podcast. <laughs> I Can you even imagine? I wouldn't know what to do. The thing is, I just think it's been such an education to watch them both. And yeah. that's why... I hope like that as the patron. I'm like, yeah, that's what we're manifesting towards. We're manifesting Absolutely. towards the 150 million Netflix deal. That's what we're <laughs> looking for. Manifest it for us, guys. Get us one step closer by sharing the podcast with a friend. Share the podcast with a friend. <laughs> like the podcast. If you can, go onto Apple Podcasts. Leave us a little review. review. Yeah, and thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye.